Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So in 1940 in Europe, World War II was in full breakout mode. It hadn't reached our shores yet and wouldn't for more than another year. But they already been through years and years and years of the Nazis rising and the Nazis taking over. And so in November of 1940, in kind of a central, south-central area in England, a little town called Coventry, uh, an air raid from the Nazis in, in November of 1940 nearly destroyed the entire city of Coventry. One of the things that was destroyed that is unique is what was called St. Michael's Church or St. Michael's Cathedral. And there's a picture of the ruins after the bombing in 1940 that you can see there. So all that was left was sort of the, the back uh, main wall and then two parts of, parts of two of the side walls. The rest was just completely destroyed along with the rest of uh, the, the town, basically. So this sat in this condition for nearly 20 years until the late 1950s when a rebuilding project took took start, and then in early 1960s, they completed a rebuilding of the, of the St. Michael's, I forgot the name, St. Michael's Cathedral. It's now called Coventry Cathedral, and this is currently what it looks like here. So you'll see on the right-hand side sort of the rebuilt part. What you'll notice on the left is they left the ruins from 1940 intact. They rebuilt onto the existing structure that, was, that had been destroyed by the bombs, uh, sort of by design. They even used the same sandstone that had been used. So St. Michael's Cathedral started out, was actually constructed originally a part of it back in the 12th century, so nearly a thousand years ago. And it was um, constructed to sort of what it was pre-1940 back in the 14th century. So it existed for 600 years before it was destroyed, and they took similar sandstone to build this brand new beautiful construction that is attached to the ruins. And so what this does is it connects the past to the present, serves as a reminder of what can happen, what seems like, even going back to sort of Genesis, when, uh, when, what's his name, Joseph, that's the guy, when Joseph told his brothers what you meant for evil, God intended for good. This is a great example of what that looks like. Or the idea of rebuilding beauty from ashes, as Isaiah talks about. So if you go back 2,400 years before this event, the ancient people of Israel are in a very similar situation. So if you go back to 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in, just like, much like the Nazis did in Europe, and they destroyed the capital city of Jerusalem. This was sort of the cherry on top for the Babylonians. They'd already been sort of invading for nearly 20 years at that point. The, the, the official time for this people called the exile had already been happening for nearly two decades before the city and the temple in Jerusalem are completely destroyed. And as we talked about the last three weeks, some of those people that were taken in the exile, Daniel, Ezekiel, some of those people, they've been living under this exile now for their, most of the rest of their lives. But then about 50 years after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, uh, Persia overtakes the existing uh, Babylonian, what was left of the Babylonian Empire, and the king was named Cyrus. 
And we don't really know why he decided to do this, but for whatever reason, Cyrus in the late 530s BC decided to allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple and worship their God and live kind of on their own again. We, again, we don't, we don't really know why he chose to do this, but that's what happens. And so kind of different wave after different wave of people. There's even lists in some of these uh, prophetic books about this group went, th this many people from this tribe and this family went back to start rebuilding. And that was the goal, to go back and rebuild the temple and their society and kind of start over building from the ashes. But as they get there, they, they think about the scope of this job they're about to embark upon. And they think about how big this task is. And so for a while, they sort of drag their feet and they build their houses back up and they start living life. But the temple is still in ruins. It's not been rebuilt yet. And so God raises up a leader named Zerubbabel and he and another leader named Jeshua, who's the, it says the son of the high priest, they sort of tag team duo this thing to motivate the people to say, hey, we need to rebuild the temple. That's why we came back, right? We didn't just come back to build our own civilization, our own homes, our own neighborhoods. The main goal, the main idea is to rebuild the temple for worship to God. And so God uses them, as we'll talk about them a little bit today, but he also uses two prophets during this time as well. And that's who we're going to focus on as we journey through the Bible this year. Today we're going to talk about the prophets Haggai and Zechariah. So God uses these two prophets at the same time to prophesy together, kind of a short burst for them. I mean, Haggai is just two short chapters. Zechariah is a bit longer, um, but still very seems like a very short spurt kind of thing. God has a very tight window. He needs to motivate the leaders, to motivate the people to rebuild the temple. And so he uses these two uh, men to encourage Zerubbabel because leading these people is not always an easy task. And if you've ever led anything, you know leading in general is never an easy task. Trying to corral people toward a common goal is not always easy. It can be discouraging at times. And so God brought these prophets into the picture to motivate Zerubbabel and Jeshua to then motivate the people because the work he knew was going to be hard, sometimes slow, and so they needed a push as well. What we're going to today in these two prophets. So if you're following in your Bible, we are going to flip back and forth a lot. So be prepared to get really frustrated with me as we just go back and forth, okay? But they're right next to each other, so it should be easy to flip there, but we'll have it on the screen as well. But today we're going to see how the message of these two prophets in this time and place, again, a couple thousand or more years ago, uh, it still speaks to us today and how we can be encouraged and motivated in whatever work God has for us to do. So the people prepare to begin the work. Okay, they, they were going to start the rebuilding project here. And so let's start in Haggai chapter 2, and let's see what the prophet says here to Zerubbabel and to um, Jeshua and to the people here. Haggai chapter 2, verse 2, here's what it says. God says to Haggai, Say this to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people there in the land. Does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now, the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So what we're going to see here for most of our time together today is really one, what I think is one main obstacle to us accomplishing God's purpose for our lives. 
And this is not just, everybody's going to have their own unique purpose. So, but this will translate to whatever God is calling you to do with your life, at your job, in your neighborhood, with your family, with your friends, with those with whom you have influence. God's called you to make some kind of difference, okay? And so whatever that looks like, there is one main obstacle that creeps up sort of like a hydra in a lot of different places to distract us from getting that work accomplished. And it's, here's what it is. Basically, the idea is this. Incorrect focus is going to discourage us from fulfilling God's plan for our lives. But it's going to look a lot of different ways. And so we're going to see that here today. That's sort of the main focus here is incorrect focus that distracts us from accomplishing God's purpose for our lives. So we see here what we just read. Here's the first one. Sometimes we have improper focus because all we, all we are focused on is how bad things used to be. Like he says, look, it's just in ruins. There's nothing here. It doesn't look like a whole lot, does it? Sometimes that's, that's all we can focus on is how bad things used to be. And what's unfortunate is our, our culture, our society, champions victim mentality. Like the more that you can claim you're a victim in more and more categories, that's good for you. That's what our society says. I would, I would argue that's completely backward. If you're going to accomplish anything, you can't focus on how hard it's been or how bad it is or how far you've been behind. But again, society, I don't know if it's intentionally for this reason or not, but when it does this, instead of uniting us together for common purposes, it actually divides us. It segments us. And as a society, it weakens us. So when our society says, hey, if you belong to this group, you're a victim. If you belong to this group, you're a victim. If you belong to both, you're a double victim. Look at you. Yay! And it's like, well... I can acknowledge that maybe these groups have been affected in a victim-type way. Maybe even me not fitting into, that, into those groups, I still would say I'm a victim in some way. We can acknowledge those things that have happened that maybe put us behind or that are not fair or that have, have taken place. We don't have to put our head in the sand, but to focus on that is, does no one any good. And so he, he says, hey, look at this. It's not, doesn't look great right now, does it? it look, look, it's been burned to the ground. Your parents and grandparents had it really rotten because they lived through this. They were here to see their temple in flames, in ashes, while they were in Babylon. And so if we focus on this, it's not constructive, it's destructive. So we can't have our focus completely on how bad things have been. We also, in a similar way, can't put our focus on all of the mistakes in the past right? That's not helpful either, because what that does is it creates more fear and uncertainty for the future. When I obsess over all the mistakes that I've made or have a habit of making, then I'm fearful about doing anything, and I'm stuck here forever while life zooms past me, and I miss what God might have for me because I'm stuck in fear. When we obsess on those mistakes, those things in the past, it's not good. It keeps us from future success, and that's what condemnation is. So in the scripture in Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why that's so important. Uh, this is a tactic of the enemy against us to continually remind us about how imperfect we are. And I don't know about you, I don't need any help in that department. I already know how imperfect I am. I already know I have hangups and issues and I have sin and I have all these things that I'm trying to work out. So I don't need the devil to jump and pile on top of me and say, yeah, you're rotten, you're terrible. Like, I don't need that, but that's what he does. And so we have to see that. That is not constructive. It is destructive. Again, we want to acknowledge sin. I'm not saying ignore those things. I'm not saying walk into the bear trap, people. That's not what I, there's a difference though between the Holy Spirit telling us 
what we should do and shouldn't do, to say, hey, you don't want to repeat. You're about to go in. That There's a difference between that and constantly being beaten down by condemnation. So we don't want to focus and obsess over those past mistakes and failures. We can notice these things, but we can't obsess over them. Our focus must be forward. Again, he points to the past briefly. Look at it. There's not much here. The rebuilding effort's going to be difficult and hard and long. But listen to me. He's saying, but now be strong and get to work. You see how he switches really quickly? Okay, it was hard. It was difficult. It is going to be hard and difficult. But now be strong, get to work. That's what he says. Get strong, be strong, and get to work. One more thing that I... I was going to mention briefly about the past. Sometimes our past is great. Maybe it's not been rough. Maybe like right now is harder than it was a few years ago. And so I wish I could go back there. I wish I could live in the good old days. I wish I could live in the heyday. That doesn't work either. Time only marches one direction, and it's forward. You can run the clock back every November all you want, and it's, it's not going to do very much, is it? So we, we have to understand that. Sometimes we can't get out of the past. Sometimes we don't want to get out of the past, but neither one of those options works because it only works one direction. Our focus must be forward toward the future. So the people, they, again, they're, they're barely starting to get the work in here, but they're getting discouraged because they're seeing, and maybe you've been like this before, you've tried to take on a big project and it's not going as fast as you would like or as fast as you thought it would. Like we even talked about with our home project last week, most projects that you do take 10 to 20% longer than you plan and cost 10 to 20% more than you thought it would. That's what they're experiencing as they begin this process of rebuilding the temple. And so let's go over to Zechariah chapter 4 and look at this. One of the, I think one of, we'll look at another key verse later on, but one of the two, I think, key verses of this entire book is Zechariah 4 verse 10. And here's what it says. God says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So they're just getting started. Like the plumb line is like, is this foundation even? Can we build on what we've already got here? So they've just barely gotten started and they're already discouraged by the lack of progress. So another thing that we can't focus on is what we see here. What we cannot focus on, is an improper focus, is focusing upon what we can't do and what we don't have. Focusing on our inadequacies. Things like, I, I wish I could make a bigger difference, but I don't have enough money to do that. I don't have enough skills to make a difference. I don't have enough time to do all the things I want to do to make a real difference. Maybe sometimes we're scared to take a chance and try something new that God's pushing us toward because then we lose a little bit more control of our life, of our time. We're like, oh, I don't know about that. We we focus on the inadequacies that we have, and that gets us nowhere. Sometimes we operate out of a scarcity mentality. Our immediate response to anything is, I can't. It won't work. It's not enough, my efforts. Like I'm trying and it's just not enough. And then what it grows into is then I'm not enough. I can't do anything right. I can't make a difference right. You see how that spirals very quickly? When we focus on what we can't do and don't have on our inadequacies, it never works. We can't get anything done that way. And this is made worse when we add to that what we all do is play the comparison game. Because typically what we do, I've said this before, but I'll say it again, typically what we do in the comparison game is we compare someone else's highlight reel to our everyday. 
That's a dangerous game to play. It's actually a trap that we get ourselves into. We look at just a few examples. You look at maybe somebody less, less experienced at work that advances past you and gets promoted past you. You're like, wait, how does that make sense? Well, we don't see what's behind the scenes. We don't see the things that it took maybe to propel them that way. We just make that comparison and then make a judgment about them and us based on that. It's a trap, this comparison game. Maybe someone younger that you know has more success than you do at your stage in life. Maybe someone else has more influence than you have and you wish that you could have that. Maybe others possess skills that you, you would die to have and you just can't make it happen. And so you compare that and then it just drags you down, 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 and nothing gets done. It's because we're focusing on our inadequacies, what we don't have, what we can't do, what others are doing, what others have, and it just is never a healthy place to be. We can't be constructive in the work God has for us if that's our main focus. So we have to, one other thing too that we do is we sometimes we'll look at what God has for us and just, and maybe you've done this before, like let's say for instance you have a big huge mug of coffee. I don't know if you're a coffee drinker, maybe that's too big, that seems pretty accurate, right? You have a big mug of coffee, amen, right? <laughs> and let's say you walk into your carpeted bedroom and you spill that mug. If, some, if, if I, I don't drink coffee, so this doesn't relate to me, but if I were to do that, let's say I'm bringing this big mug to Kim and it's to the, it's to the brim and, something, and I trip over something like the cat or whatever, right? And it just goes everywhere and the, and the mug shatters on the carpet. I, my, my reaction is to be like, wow, that's not good. Like, it, you know, you'd like take five, 10 seconds to then say, that's a huge mess. How am I ever going to clean that up? Not only to my satisfaction, but to my wife's satisfaction, you know? Like, we're just going to have to rip the carpet out of the whole room. It's going to be a huge, and then I spiral about how big this project's going to be, how long it's going to take, how miserable it's going to be. If we focus on the scope of the whole thing, it's, it is debilitating. It is discouraging. But, the, you know, the old adage is, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. If I, it's like, you know, remember the, the uh, hot dog eating contest that was last weekend? I just can't imagine that. Like, that to me is like, how do they do that? You know how they do it? One hot dog at a time. It's like, how did you eat 65 hot dogs in 10 minutes? One hot dog at a time, you know? Just put that thing in the water and just down the gullet, brother, you know? It's like, if I looked at a pile of 65, I would say even if a competitive eater looked at a pile of 65 hot dogs, they would say, that's a lot of hot dogs, but if they just aren't thinking about it, just one after the other after the other, they're okay, I, somehow I did that. That's how we have to approach everything we do in life. Everything that God has for us is, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next step? What's the next move? What does today bring? Maybe even like what's going on this week, right? We can maybe go that far before we start to really panic. If you can't, what's to, go back to today, okay? What's today bring? What's coming up tomorrow? Focusing upon that is how the work gets done, how progress happens. So he says it may seem small, but don't despise small beginnings because you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. And so our hard work may not look like a whole lot, but he says be strong and get to work because God rejoices to see the work begin. I think one more key before we move on. The key word there is beginnings, small beginnings. So here's the thing. As you work on whatever God has for you, as you build on that and momentum begins to, to come, there's really no limit to what God can do through you as you just continue to build day after day, day after day, day after day. And before you know it, you look back and, man, that small thing's gotten a little bit bigger. And, wow, you know, those plants in my garden have started to grow. And now, guess what? Now I have cucumbers, right, Melissa? So that's how that works. 
If you go to a farmer's market and then you go back to your garden, it's going to bum you out. But then you just have to say, I can eventually get there. It's going to take some time and work, but eventually I can get this thing how I want it to look. Everything starts small. And here's the thing. Even if the thing that God has for you ends up being small in the end, if your focus is, again, not on your inadequacies, but upon what God can do despite your inadequacies, then your focus is in the right place anyway. Because sometimes, guilty, you might look at what you're doing and think, well, it's not as big as I want it to be, or it's not grown as much as I'd like it to grow. But here's the thing. If I focus on, okay, God's doing something, don't despise small beginnings. If my focus is in the right place, then the results aren't going to affect me one way or the other as bad. I'm not going to get too high on myself when, they get, when things grow. I'm not going to get too low when they don't. And that's a good place to have our focus. So let's continue on. They continue on in the work. They grind it out. They build. They start constructing. And then here's what Zechariah says. This is Zechariah chapter 8, starting at verse number 9, as the work continues here. He says, This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Be strong and finish the task. Ever since the laying of the foundation of the temple of the Lord of heaven's armies, you have heard what the prophets have been saying about completing the building. Before the work on the temple began, there were no jobs, no money to hire people or animals, no traveler was safe from the enemy, for there were enemies on all sides. I had turned everyone against each other. But now I will not treat the remnant of my people as I treated them before, says the Lord of heaven's armies, for I am planting seeds of peace and prosperity among you. The grapevines will be heavy with fruit, the earth will produce its crops, and the heavens will release the dew. Once more, I will cause the remnant in Judah and Israel to inherit these blessings. Among the other nations, Judah and Israel became symbols of a cursed nation, but no longer. Now I will rescue you and make you both a symbol and a source of blessing. So do not be afraid. Be strong and get on with rebuilding the temple." What we see here is another incorrect focus that we can sometimes fall into. Sometimes, maybe most of the time, we focus on what we see instead of what God says. This is so easy to do on a regular basis. Focusing on what I can see instead of what God says. Again, he says at the beginning of this project, there were no jobs, no money, no safety, all the work to do at the beginning. But, get, but then he says, but now things are different because of what he has done. So let's look at this here. He, he says, remember what I've said. He's talking, the prophets, the prophets, hundreds of years ago even, prophesied about this moment that you're living through right now. So you're seeing the hard work, the day-to-day, -day, the grind, but they talked about this. So even Isaiah, the whole, we talked about on Easter, the whole point of Isaiah is redemption of God's people. He's saying, hey, you're my people. You're always going to be my people, but when you fall and, and rebel against me, I will judge you. I will punish you, but... Then he says there will be something after that that will be even better. That's what the whole point of the prophet Isaiah is about. Even in, in Isaiah 43, he says, When you walk through the waters, I'll be there with you. They won't overtake you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. I'll be there with you. When you look at the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, it's the one that we quote all the time. This is what it's talking about. This moment right here that they're living through in, in Haggai and Zechariah, 20, Jeremiah 29, he says, I have plans for you, says the Lord, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. 
So in Jeremiah 29, he, he talks about this day after the exile. He says, you will call to me and I'll answer you. You'll pray to me and I'll hear you. This moment that they are living in is exactly what the prophets had talked about. God had to remind them that that is what the prophets were always looking toward. And even here in Zechariah, this current day prophecy for them, God uses the word now twice in just this one section. Now. Don't focus on what you can see, but now focus on what I'm saying. And then six times, well, seven, one time he says, I am doing something. Six times in these five verses, he says, I will do these things, or these things will happen. So again, they're not seeing these things. But if they, so if they focus on what, only what they can see, they will become discouraged. That's why they're becoming discouraged. But God says, instead, focus upon what I have said and what I am saying. It's a promise. It's a guarantee from God. And so that's Zechariah. Haggai goes even further. He goes even further back in the prophets than this. So let's go back to Haggai chapter 2, verse 4. says this, But now the Lord says, Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people still left in the land. And now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Verse 5, My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So do not be afraid. So not only when Zechariah talks about what the prophets have said, he's not just talking about like a hundred years ago. That's a long time to go back to a promise that God made that now is being fulfilled, right? Haggai is going back a thousand years. He's saying the same spirit that brought you out of Egypt a millennium ago is still faithfully with you now to complete this task. What seems too big for you right now to God is nothing. He brought you out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. You crossed a sea miraculously. Some of your ancestors that were faithful survived 40 years in the desert, built a brand new civilization. Their ancestors lived through civil war. Their ancestors lived through exile. And now here you are fulfilling this prophecy from a thousand years ago. He's saying, I'm still with you. I promise to always be with you, to never leave you nor forsake you. That still means right now, a thousand years later. So what, what they're saying is it's the same God. He is consistent. He is faithful. He doesn't fail. He cannot fail. One more, as we continue on in Haggai chapter 2, he actually has then a present-day promise. So we've gone back a little bit. We've gone back a lot. But now he's saying, hey, here's what God's saying right now to you. Here's what he's saying. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens and the earth, the oceans and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and the treasures of all the nations will be brought to this temple. I will fill this place with glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Here's the key here. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in this place, I will bring peace. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. So he's gone way back. He's gone back a little bit. Now he's saying, here, here's what God's saying right now through Haggai. He's saying, right now, he's saying, think about the splendor of what this temple used to be. It was a structure unlike anything else on the planet. It was majestic. I mean, if you read in the, about the construction of the temple, the amount of gold, the amount of silver, the amount of things that were used, I mean, everything is literally covered in pure gold. 
right? This is like the most ornate structure you can ever begin to imagine. It is special. It is amazing. But even more important than that to the people was the holiness of what this structure represented. This is where they believe that God's presence would come and dwell. It would come and live there. There's even a sacred room in the very back, the Holy of Holies, where his presence just comes directly in. Even as you read, right before the t- Solomon, King Solomon dedicates a temple that's now destroyed, um, when you read it in 2 Chronicles 5 and 1 Kings 8, it says this, that right before the dedication, as everything's basically just finished, God decides to move in early, Okay. He didn't get the memo. Yeah, you, you, on the first of the month, he's like, I'm coming in right now. So he, he moves right in and says that God's presence came in the form of a cloud and filled the entire temple, and his presence was so thick, no one could even go inside. So again, Haggai is saying, think about the splendor of that temple. Think about how amazing and majestic this temple used to be, how much it represents, how much you love it. He says, but catch this. The temple that you're now rebuilding is going to dwarf that one. The future glory of this new temple is going to be even greater than the former glory of the former temple. That's why another reason why we can't be stuck in the good old days. Because you know why? There's gooder old days coming up ahead. So if you get stuck in the good old days when things were how I liked them and how I was comfortable and how I knew it and how I grew up, you're going to miss something even better. I'm just telling you, this is not like a new guy talking to old people. I'm not saying you're old. I'm just saying that's not what this is. This is not a thing about, you know, you got to get with the program. I'm just saying that's how, that's how time works. That's how God works. It only gets better over time. It's going to be different. Yeah. It's going to be adjustments. Yeah. It's going to seem weird at first. Yeah. But God always works in that way. His glory only increases. Even the scripture says we're changed from glory to glory. That's how everything God designs works. And so we can't get stuck in the bad old days. We can't get stuck in the good old days. we got to move forward to the better days that are ahead. That's what God has for us. And so here's the, I'm going to leave you with two quick thoughts as we, as we begin to, uh, don't get too excited, begin to wrap it up, okay? <laughs> two quick thoughts. Here's the first one. Part of the motivation of these prophets is the reminder that they bring. So here, here's the idea here. Being constantly reminded of what God has done will keep us consistently reassured of what God will do. Let me say that again. Being constantly reminded of what God has done will keep us consistently reassured of what God will do. That's what these prophets are saying. They're saying, you ain't seen nothing yet, and you've seen some great stuff, and you've read and heard some great stuff, but there's even better things ahead as you continue to rebuild the temple. And this really is the power of Scripture, Okay? This is the power of Scripture because we read again and again how God came through. We read again and again how God never fails. We see story after story and time after time and person after person about how the odds are stacked against them. There was no way out of this desperate situation. They had zero hope, but still somehow God came through. That's motivating. You need that in your life. You need to be in the Scripture to experience that for yourself. Even like we talked about last week, it's not, we don't just read the Bible just to check it off our to-do list or because it's the Christian thing to do. This is one of the important things of Scripture is that we read and are encouraged by it. We're motivated by it. Man, if God can come through for them in that desperate situation, he can do it for me. Boom, that's the point. It's also a big part of sharing our testimonies with each other. Because it's not just this, uh, it's just an ancient book and maybe God's changed. No, my neighbor was healed, so I believe that God can heal me. That's how that works. 
God came through for this person that I actually physically, literally know, and so then I believe the same God working on their behalf can work for me. That's the power of Scripture and our testimony is that we are reminded of what God has done to reassure us of what God can and will do. So what you're, the work you're doing may not seem like much. The job in front of you may seem great. Maybe the progress is really slow. But again, God says, be strong and get to work because God loves to see the work begin. And as important as our work is and what we're doing, there's one more aspect of this that we haven't covered. We looked at it last week. Let's look at it again here for just a minute. We'll go back to Haggai and Zechariah both as we begin to close. As, our, as important as our work is, our work is not the most important thing. We looked at this verse a second ago. Let's read it again. Haggai 2.5. God says, My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt, so do not be afraid. And then skip over to Zechariah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This, Zechariah 4.6, I think, is the, the key verse of this entire uh, book here. Zechariah 4, verse 6, he says, Then he said to me, This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel has sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, May God bless it. May God bless it. So what's even more important than the work that God's calling you to do is God's Spirit strengthening you to do the work that God's called you to do. That's the main promise, the final motivating factor for the people. They don't have to build in their own strength anymore because God's Spirit is with them. They're reminded of that. They don't have to worry about the things that are in front of them that seem too difficult because God's Spirit is with them. The prophets remind them and remind us that it's God's Spirit that makes the difference. He says not even a mighty mountain will stand in your way. It's funny that Jesus says a very similar thing. Jesus says, talks about how much faith that we need to accomplish things, right? He says we have to have faith the size of what? A mustard seed. Very, very small. I could fit a whole pile in my hand, right? He says, if you have faith the size of one mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to be removed and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. He's using this similar language even that Zechariah uses. Even a mountain is not too great for God. So let's look at one more scripture. Then I want to play a game with you real quick, okay? It'll be fun, I promise. Zechariah 8, verse 6. Here's how we're going to finish. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people, but is it impossible for me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Let's play a game, shall we? The game is called, Is It Too Hard for God? So here's what, I'm going to be the host of the game. Okay, you're the contestants. Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to ask a question. Is blank too hard for God? And I want you to respond with your answer. Okay. I'm assuming that you have the, the, answer, the correct answer I'm thinking of, but in case you don't, we can talk afterward, okay? So here we go. Is it too hard for God is the name of the game. Is, a large, is any large task too hard for God? Is any problem at your job too hard for God? Is the fact that you need a job too hard for God? Is any marital issue too hard for God? Is any relationship issue too hard for God? Is any financial stress too hard for God? Is any medical issue too hard for God? Is any mental or emotional issue too hard for God? Is any political or social issue too hard for God? 
Is any mistake that you've made too hard for God? Is any doubt that you have too hard for God? Is any problem you face too hard for God? Is any surprise, unforeseen thing too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? So you've already answered God's question in Zechariah, okay? We've done that successfully here. Nothing is too hard for God. So you know what that means? That means no matter how things look, how they seem, or how you feel, you're going to be okay. No matter how things appear on the surface, no matter what the news headlines tell you, what the doctor report says, what your financial planner, don't talk to them right now, says, okay? Nothing's too hard for God. So you're going to make it. You're going to be victorious, not by your own power, remember? It's by God's power because nothing's too hard for him. So here's the last thought I'll leave you as we really, really close this time, okay? The last thought I want to leave you with, nothing supernatural can be done naturally. Remember that. Nothing supernatural can be done naturally. So here's the secret to your life. The plan God has for your life is too big for you to do on your own. The thing that God has planned for you to accomplish, you cannot pull off without him. Anything supernatural, any plan God has fits that description. So anything supernatural cannot be done naturally. It is too much for you. It is too big for you. It is too hard for you. That mountain is way too tall. That river is way too wide. That problem is way too severe. That relationship is way too strained. It just doesn't add up. The numbers don't add up. It doesn't make sense. But when we add into the equation God's spirit, his supernatural power over all things, then we can breathe. Then we can calm down. Then we can know by faith. Again, I don't see how that works. Like you're, you may don't, I don't know what you're going through. I'm telling you, this works every time. Over and over again, we see the power of God working in ways that blow our minds. Things that cannot be done that God does. Things, nothing supernatural can be done naturally. Remember that. When it's too big for you, lean into the power of the Holy Spirit. When it's overwhelming, lean into the peace that surpasses understanding. When it's too great for you, like start lifted in prayer and, and, and the word, right? Let's, let's get, get swole in the spiritual gym here, okay? Let's do that. that that's, what, that's, the, that's what makes the difference. That's what wins the race. That's what in the end of the day gets us through any difficulty we face is the reality that with his power, with his strength, nothing is impossible. So again, the work that you're doing may seem small and slow, but be strong and keep working. The work that you're doing may seem too much, but be encouraged and keep believing. As we keep our focus on the right thing and on the right one and on his power and his endless supply, we can successfully, victoriously accomplish anything that God has for us. Let's pray. God, we know that we all have work to do and things to accomplish. We know that you have a plan for us. And sometimes we focus on our inadequacy, on our inability, on our doubts and questions and fears. Help us instead to focus upon you. Sometimes we focus upon how big the task is or how much work it's going to take or how awkward or strange or new or different it's going to be. But help us to instead to focus upon you that never change. Sometimes we... We just get discouraged because we're not seeing a lot of results right now and things aren't happening and I don't know even what, God, what you're up to. Where are you? Help us to instead of questioning that to just focus on you. 
Sometimes we, we look at the things around us and they don't make sense and they seem impossible and we just get so overwhelmed. Help us to, instead of looking at what we see, to instead focus upon what you've said, upon what you've done, upon your faithfulness and your power over all things. I know in this room there are so many people that are dealing with so many things. Many of them are way bigger than they can handle. And that's kind of how you designed it. We need to need you. We need you in our lives. We need your power to overcome any obstacle that we face. And so we, as, as hard as it can be at times, strengthen us, encourage us, and motivate us to focus on you and only you. Not the mountain in our way, not the river we can't cross, not the problem that we can't figure out, not the issue that has, come, that has just come in so many different directions, not the mistakes that we've made, not the ruts that we've gotten ourselves into, but focus strictly and solely upon you, the God of the universe, the God of all power and authority to do anything and everything, even the impossible. Help us to be encouraged and motivated today by your spirit, by your power to successfully accomplish the work that you have for us to do. It's so important. So help us to do that, but by your strength, by your power, and by your spirit. So I pray that we leave this place today encouraged and motivated to just take it and just do the work and remain strong in the power of your spirit. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.